Hello, and thank you so much for clicking on this episode. You are listening to Retold, a podcast where I review and analyze modern retellings of ancient history and mythology. I'm your host, Sophia. And in this episode, I'm going to be covering the third novel of this season. Um, And that is... I don't think I really need to get into much preamble because I don't really know... I don't know much about the background behind this this book or, you know, the environment around the, the, the people, what people think of it. But anyway, I'll just go in. Um, today, this week, these t- past two weeks, I reread the book A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes. Episode 4 of Season 1 of Retold, A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes. Um, so, for those of you who haven't heard of A Thousand Ships, it's, it's a novel, um, as I mentioned. Um, it is a... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think about how to describe this. So it's a novel told by the perspective of a lot of different women who all were in some way, whether very closely or kind of tangentially related to the Trojan War. I would, I would argue like one of them is not related at all. But um, anyway, um, it's told by the perspective of women it's 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 the story of the Trojan War told by all the women that it affected or I don't know I don't know necessarily that all of them were affected but it was it's told by the persp- it's the Trojan War told from the perspective of various different women who were involved in it in some way or were affected by it in some way um yeah um and that could be that it's it, well, I'll talk about it later, but um, I guess I'll just go very quickly through the different women because, because um, why not? So there is Calliope, Creusa, the Trojan women. So that's really majority Hecuba, Cassandra, Andromache, and Polyxena, um, Theano. I don't know if that's actually how you pronounce it. Um, Diana? I don't know. Uh, Cal- Calliope again. <laughs> the Trojan women again. Penthesilea, uh, an Amazon queen. Uh, Penelope, sure you know that. Oh, by the way, Calliope was like a goddess of epic poetry. Um, Briseis and Crises, I talked about them in my... In the first episode of the season, Trojan War Told... Um, Laodamia. Oh, Thetis also. We know Thetis. Um, Laodamia, 
who I guess I don't think I talked I definitely did not talk about her but she is a queen uh, one of the Greek queens um there's a chapter about Aphrodite, Hera, and Athena, you know, because they they kind of caused the judgment of Paris and therefore the, the Trojan War. Um, there's one from the perspective of, I'm going to butcher this, Oinone, is that it? Oinone? Who was actually, I don't think I talked about this, but it was actually Paris's first wife who was also a nymph. Uh, a river nymph in around the Trojan area on Mount Ida, which is a mountain near Troy. Um, yeah, so it's Oinoni. Close enough. Um, Iphigenia, uh, she was, I don't think we talked about her either, maybe we should have, but she was sacrificed by her father Agamemnon. Um, because he was being punished for disrespecting Artemis, and Artemis basically just, like, changed the wind so that they couldn't go to Troy, and, uh, they had to sacrifice Iphigenia to get the winds where they wanted to go, where they wanted them to go. Um, Eris, randomly, well, not randomly, I think it's interesting, Eris was the one who was the goddess who threw an apple in, threw the apple of discord into Thetis and Peleus's wedding to, um, and that was the apple that Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite fought over, um, one specifically by Hecuba, I know it's Hecabe, it's like, it's, it's spelled Hecabe here, I'm a Hecuba kind of girly. I like the spelling Hecuba, but I like the pronunciation Hecuba. Um, but anyway, we've got Polyxena, one of her daughters. Um, Themis, another god. Um, Cassandra, we know Cassandra. Do we know Cassandra? I don't think we know Cassandra. I'll talk about her. She is. She was a Trojan princess who refused. Who basically struck up a deal with Apollo, um, and when she refused to give, like basically her side of the bargain, which was you know sleeping with him, um, he his side of the bargain was giving her the gift of prophecy, and he spat in her mouth and basically made it so that no one would believe her prophecies. We will talk about that in extensive detail. Um, Gaia. This one is the one that I think is the most random, because that's Gaia. Like, Gaia is the Earth Mother, like, the Mother, the Earth Goddess, who's basically the Earth. Like, she's a primordial god. Um, I don't know if I would consider her very related to the Trojan War, but sure um there's Clytemnestra who is Agamemnon's wife Iphigenia's mom spoiler alert she kills him because of Iphigenia in revenge for her daughter Iphigenia there's also one by Andromache Andromache anyway Andromache who is Hector's wife and then there's also one by the Mori Moirai Moirai who are who also known as the Fates in English, um, and they are the goddesses who basically control all human life. So, POV, 
what's the impact of the POV on the story? Okay, <laughs> obviously this one's very different from the previous two that we have. Um, in brief, I guess, in Silence of the Girls, we did have a snippet of Achilles Patroclus and in the sequel, Pyrrhus, but they, like, were not important. This one, and Brice was, was, like, the main one, and there were only two anyway, so. Um, this one is very different because it's told by so many different women, and not all of the women get multiple chapters. Some of them only get one. Um, Calliope, Penelope, they get a significant number of chapters, but most most of them are kind of like an afterthought um not an like that's not the right word for it but you know like they're just briefly mentioned what i think this okay i actually really like this pov style um i am writing a retelling of ancient roman early early roman republic or early roman empire the early roman empire and i have a similar type of POV type thing. There's also a fan fiction that I read once that was really good, also about the early Roman Empire. Well, less early Roman Empire, more late early late Roman Republic. But um, it's now being published as a book, and I'll probably cover it one day. Um, and it also has a very similar um, POV style, and I really like it because I think the many POVs just gives us such a fleshed out, um, idea of what it was, of what it is to be a woman, woman in the, during the Trojan War. Um, there's this really great quote that, um, from the book, uh, let me try and find it. So it says, um, it's in one of Calliope's chapters, and she's talking about, basically, I mean, basically, her perspective is she's basically inspired. She's basically telling the story of all of these, all this entire book. All of these women are basically telling their chapters through her to Homer, basically. Um, and she says, uh, "I have sung of the women, the women in the shadows. I have sung of the forgotten." the ignored, the untold. I have picked up the old stories, and I have shaken them until the hidden women appear in plain sight. I have celebrated them in song because they have waited long enough. Just as I promised him, this was never the story of one woman or two. It was the story of all of them. A war does not ignore half the people whose lives it touches. So why do we... Um, and, okay, the reason why I thought that that quote was just so great, first of all, says so much about something that is a central theme of the story, I think, uh, the, the novel, I think, is how, you know, we only, history, history is told by the winners, um, and in the, the case of the Trojan War, that's not just the Greeks, that's the Greek men, because, Women didn't serve in the military in ancient Greece. Um, and I think a lot of these stories throughout, um, throughout, throughout A Thousand Ships, many of the stories are stories that we do know. Um, Penelope, Clytemnestra, uh, what's her name? Uh, 
Cassandra, most of us know Cassandra. I think she's one of the more no, more well-known ones. Um, but but there but I was but along with and okay sorry I can't speak um and I think a lot of people think that um once you know those stories those those stories you know the Trojan war the the story of the Trojan women a lot of the time when we talk about like my I know women aren't a minority because there are actually more women than men in the entire well is that true at least I think in the U.S. there are more women than men. But um, whenever you think of a marginalized group, an underrepresented, an underrepresented group, uh, a lot of people tend to think of those groups as monoliths and make generalizations of people that really should not be generalized, uh, that really should not be made. Um, and I think that this definitely applies to history and mythology, especially from the more... Um, amateur fans, uh, the more casual enjoyers. Of course, there's nothing wrong with having a degree. I myself do not have a degree, but I do think that it's important for us to acknowledge that these these um, experiences are diverse. They're very different. Um, after all, there are so many different experiences that men during the Trojan War had. I mean, just look at, there's the people who died, <laughs> there's the people who won, there's the people who won and died. Achilles, for example, um, his side won, but he still died. Um, there's the people who, you know, were affected by the Trojan War, Orestes, for example, um, but never actually lived it. Um, and I think we need to, I think people, when we talk about like exploring untold stories of women or un- other underrepresented groups, people tend to do the bare minimum and they tend to see one person's story and discount basically everyone else's. They either apply that one person's story to everyone else or they say, okay, this is what this is the type of woman that I would want, I want to read about. The rest of them are not, um, which we call exclusionary feminism. Um, and that's just not good. And I think it's important to explore a wide variety of perspectives, even within women, because women is the, 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 the woman community is such not a monolith it's not even really a community like i don't think i've ever heard someone say woman community before um like women are famously not united women are famously not the same there there's so many different archetypes of women for a reason um and i think that a lot of feminists quote unquote are very they have an ideal picture of they have a picture of what they think a woman is is should be like or what is they are like and i think that many times people just don't do enough um they don't try to understand womanhood in especially in greek mythology and history they don't understand womanhood they only understand one type of womanhood 
okay, I'm thinking specifically. So there are a lot of people, for example, this is such a tangent, and I don't think I'm making any sense here, but humor me. Um, in ancient Rome, there's there's a wide variety of female characters. Um, specifically in the Empire, um, not so much when you get farther back, because they just kind of didn't, ex- like, we don't, just don't know that much about, like, they weren't written about, at least. Um, uh, and there's a lot of different, I don't think there's one, there are women that are identical in how they were perceived or what they were like in the Roman sources, but we don't pay attention to most of them, you know, or we villainize some of them and raise some of them. For example, um, I'm thinking people really like, for example, Fulvia, I think is one people like, I like her too. I, I love her. I think she's great. Um, actually some people don't like Fulvia, but people like Agrippina the Elder, I think. Um, people like, well, to be honest, people don't really like most Roman women. (laughs) Most Roman women get a really bad rep. Um, I think we can blame misogyny for that, but of the feminist, of the people who are trying to, uh, look past that and get a, a, a look of what, you know, women's stories were. Often, I think that those people tend to be very exclusionary, you know? And people have, like, you might say that... You might say that you are... um, You are looking for women's stories, but really a lot of people just, you, they look for women's stories, they find one woman's story, they run with it, they, they finish there, and that's just not enough, we have to look at that broad spectrum, because yes, women have similarities, and they have shared experiences, but they are not the same, you know, they have their own personalities, individualism, you know, um, and I think that's really what a thousand ships is really good at that's one of its biggest points that i think is really great um because perspective is such an underrated aspect of truth you know what i mean like like okay so think of the other books we've we've covered in this podcast so far the song of achilles um the silence of the girls those are two uh, books that mainly we only sympathize or we sympathize with one POV and in The Song of Achilles it's the only one Patroclus and in The Silence of the Girls that's Briseis and I'm not saying that this is necessarily a bad thing because it is to tell those stories that's just how those books were set up but they I think people just generally as people we make a lot of assumptions that are not true at all (laughs) like no not founded in any speck of truth any remnant of of fact but we assert them in our minds like they're true and we tell them to our friends the people we know like they're true because we just make so many assumptions and I think that's really highlighted in Briseis and Patrick's, uh, because 
you know, for example, I, I'm thinking specifically there's this one, um, this is one, this is one line in maybe Women of Troy or Silence of the Girls, I don't remember. It's like, um, basically, she says something like, um, Odysseus, like, chose Hecuba because she was the only woman who was old enough so that Penelope wouldn't think that he was sleeping with her. And then she adds, you know, or, you know, pretend to believe she wasn't sleeping with her or something. And she was basically insinuating that Odysseus was going to sleep with her anyway. Now, I am not, I am no pro-Odysseus person, but I think it's funny because... (laughs) It never happens, and yet she's so confident, you know? I feel like I'm not expressing this correctly or clearly. Um, What I'm saying is that I think it's so... The unreliable narrator is what I'm getting at. Um, Briseis and Patroclus are definitely both unreliable narrators. Patroclus especially is very blind to Achilles' faults. Um, Briseis is very blind to, mm, she's kind of just blind to random things. Um, she's mainly, I think mainly she's blind to, um, I think she, she kind of villainizes the Greeks more maybe than she should. Not Achilles, probably not Patroclus, but like, she just assumes all the other men are bad. And so does Patroclus, actually. He assumes all the Greek kings are bad. Like, if you're gonna, like, if Patroclus is bad, it's good. And in Song of Achilles' case, if Achilles is good, why can you make these assumptions? Um, and I think what's what's really great about this book is that you see the perspectives of so many different women and you see that unreliability in each one and you see how those perspectives contrast each other. I mentioned um, Theno or Theano. I, I really don't know. Um, so Theano in the book is the wife of a guy named Antinor, who is a an advisor to Priam. And Theno is also a priestess of Athena. Um, and basically, Athena tells Theno that they the trojans need to give helen back to menelaus um antino or antinor antinor tells priam you have got to give her back we have to do this like we're gonna we're all gonna die unless you give give um give helen back um, but Priam apparently refuses to do this because apparently he doesn't want to humiliate Paris. Screw Paris, in my opinion. Just, like, let him rot. I mean, really. Um, anyway. So, uh, they're basically in Theno's chapter. She only has one chapter, but it's her talking with her husband about... And she basically tells him, you have to, she basically says, if we can't convince Priam to give in, we have to take action ourselves. Um, And Theno basically predicts that, um, this isn't through prophecy or anything, she's just smart, I guess, unlike literally everyone else in Troy. She's basically, she tells him, you know, 
I know what's gonna happen. The Trojan horse must have people in there. Um, and, um, why do I keep, like, blanking out? Um, Thino's like, they're already inside the city. There's nothing we can do. Antonor, I know, like, we're beyond the point where it's a matter of loyalty. We are all gonna die. And all we need to do to save our own hides is betray the Trojans. And we're gonna open the gates. We're gonna help the, um, the, um, the Greeks. Um, and maybe they'll spare us. And they do. Um, there's actually this quote. Um, so he asks, you want me to betray our city, our home? He asked. I want our daughter to live, she said. Go now before it is too late. And quickly, husband, it is our only chance. The old man returned carrying an animal skin and a stark message. He must nail it, the panther's hide to the door of their home and the Greeks would pass it by. So I I think this, unquote, um, I think this passage is just so important because people were desperate. I think people often get a bad rep for betraying their city. Maybe rightfully so sometimes. Um, but they, I don't think Theno and Antinor necessarily do because most people don't even know the story. But I imagine if more people knew it, they would get a bad rep. And Hecuba actually um, gives them <laughs> gives them a mental beating. Not that they're even there. She like curses them inside her mind. I'll get to that. And she's like, she basically hates them because she thinks they betrayed the city. But what were they supposed to do? Um, I'll, I'll go to that Hecuba quote. So, um, basically Hecuba is told, like, this is after the, the city is destroyed. Um, someone tells her Thino's family was spared. Hecuba's like, what do you mean spared? Why would they be spared? Um, and it says, quote, but even as she said it, she knew. She knew that Antinor had betrayed them, his cautious counsel to appeal to the Greeks and ask for terms on which the Trojans could return Helen had not been advice for the benefit of his city, but for the benefit of himself. Dot, dot, dot. Hecuba snorted. This is in response to something the other person says. The double-faced traitors, friends to their enemies, enemies to their friends. So you here you can see like Hecuba being that unreliable narrator and she is basically saying of course Antinor had not been doing it for the benefit of the city like when he was advising Priam he was doing it for himself we know objectively <laughs> from Athena's perspective that and also a little bit because of common sense that just because he doesn't want himself to first of all of course, he doesn't want himself to die. He doesn't want his child, his child to die. He doesn't want his um, wife to die. But also, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not doing it for his city. He 
like <laughs> honestly this is a little bit stupid if you ask me because it's so weird because he warned you and he warned you in the hope that all of you would be able to like avoid getting killed because of that um and when no one refused and everyone refused to listen he decided you know what if i can't save everyone else i might as well save myself uh, well his wife thought that and hecuba even like mentions this like she acknowledges like in between like where you know how i said an ellipsis where the ellipsis is she basically she basically acknowledges they're better they're better off than me maybe they did the right thing but then she goes on to like just rage at them you know and like (laughs) it's just so interesting to see that irony because Hecuba is is such she's all the all of her the entirety of her perspective and the other Trojan women is literally just suffering and it's not like Antonor and Theana were like sacrificing the city someone that that one of the Greek warriors in the horse would have opened the gates anyway so I really don't see Hecuba's logic but also in a way I think it's also poetic because the point is that she has no logic like it makes sense to me that like being going through this traumatic experience and having so much rage about it having so much anger about the death of basically you know her entire family minus well death or enslavement of her entire family um and her entire city like naturally she would she wouldn't be thinking logically and i appreciate that and but if it if it was a book completely told by hecuba we would never even know that that was kind of like her unreliable narrative narrator moment and i think that would even take away from hecuba's perspective because we don't see how that's you know that's making her you know become a little irrational because what this book is really about is the effects of the war on everyone around them um so yeah that's like mainly what i wanted to say about the povs i think it's just so such a broad range of povs um there's you know there's greek queens uh, greek royals trojan royals um goddesses um i mean i I think that kind of covers it (laughs) but there's not exactly very many poor people but um well, I mean, I guess there's Crisaise and Brisaise is not poor. Um, Crisaise isn't poor either, but she's not a royal at least. Um, yeah, I think that's all I really wanted to say about the POV. I will say I think I'm just going to move on to the characterizations right now. Um, this is less about characterizations of the main characters, because honestly, I kind of approve of all of them. Like, there's nothing really wrong with them, and I think that, um, the author gives, gives personality to people who we don't 
have any recorded personality, you know? Like, we just don't know what these people's personalities were. For example, Crisais, we just don't know her personality. And in the book, uh, Natalie Haynes is able to give all these women who really aren't talked about that much. Like, um, what's her name? Oinani. She's able to give her, give basically everyone a personality. And whether they are very, you know, fleshed out personalities, that's a different matter, but there's personality to all of them. They're not boring. They might be boring, but they're not lifeless. <laughs> they're all, you know, they all have, they all have personality in a way, you know? Um, I feel like this book is less about, there's very little characterization in general. But um, I just wanted to go through a few passages that I that I wanted to talk about, especially. Um, well, I guess this is a, a characterization. Uh, the first one is Patroclus. Um, it's okay. <laughs> this is kind of weird. Patroclus is in love with Briseis. Like throughout her perspective, he's in love with her. Um, but also he's such a jerk. Like, he's probably, he's worse than Achilles, you know? Because he's a jerk in a more personal and, like, offensive way. And more relatable for us in the, in, in, in the modern world. Um. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, here's a character's... I, here's a here's an interesting thing I thought... There, here's the thing that I thought was pretty interesting about the kings. So, or just the Greeks in general, how they're... The Greek men in general, are how they're portrayed. So, basically, Achilles and Patroclus are talking, and Briseis is just there, as usual. Um, and Achilles basically says something... Um... He basically says something, and he's like, he says something to, basically, Patroclus gives him credit for, like, killing everyone, <laughs> killing all the Trojans. Um, Achilles refutes this by saying, no, my Myrmidons, my Myrmidons, my people, the, the Thians, they were the ones who killed them. So, and then Briseis is like, Briseis realizes that Achilles is, like, trying to comfort Patroclus, basically. He's trying to be like, no, you're good, too. Like, we all know it's not true, but you're good, too. Like, I, you're, you're a good warrior. And <laughs> Briseis says, how curious. Two warriors did determine to be so kind to one another. And what I love about this is that Achilles and Patroclus, especially Patroclus, is such a jerk. He's such a jerk. But you see him um, being kind to Achilles. And Achilles is also being kind to him. Um, and I think what this really highlights what I think personally that Achilles and Patroclus really were like. Maybe not Patroclus, but Achilles. He wasn't, I don't think that he was someone who, and I don't know if this is really a distinction that can really be made, but he's not someone who's kind, he, he's kind to other people. 
The problem is that there are some people who do, he does not consider people. <laughs> you know, he's kind to the men because those are the people he considers important. Those are the people who he considers, you know, human beings. Whereas, uh, you know, all the Trojan women, um, they are. N- they're not humans because they're women and all the trojan men they're not really humans either because they are the enemy you know like he's i feel like in a lot of greek literature sympathy is not a thing you know sympathy does just does not exist it is not a concept uh, all that exists, there is kindness, there is camaraderie, there is not, there is not kindness, actually, well, there is kindness, but only in camaraderie, you're only kind to the people you know, you're only kind to the people you see as your equal, if you don't see, well, I don't know about equal, but they're only kind to the people you like, basically, you only respect the people who you think are your equal. Um, and I don't think most of the Greek the Greek men would have thought either of these things about the Trojan women, which I think really highlights what the mentality was, well, probably was among those people. You know, like I feel like this is a really good and realistic interpretation of what the, the Greek men's attitude was towards the Trojan women. Because honestly, the... the we don't even like really like there's a lot of different ways you can interpret that relationship and I think that this is one of my more this is the ones that I like a little bit more like you're not it's not that Achilles thinks of him as a bad himself as a bad person he's not mean he's not kind he's not unkind you know he's kind he's He's kind to other people, but again, he, the, the thing is, he just doesn't consider some people people. Um, so I thought that was an interesting quote. Um, what else? There's, okay, so the next quote I highlighted was, um, one about basically Helen and Hecuba. Um, and it's basically Helen just making a lot of really good points. <laughs> um, and I think that there are ones that we don't really consider. Um, so Hecuba says, none of the Greeks seem to want you back. Um, and Helen goes, literally, why would they? They blame me for the war. Like, they think that it's my fault. And Andromache is basically like, everyone blames you. And Paris. And then Helen goes, at least you didn't make me the sole culprit. Then Hecuba goes in and says, I do. I blame you. Paris is a, she paused, was an immoral fool, but you were a married woman. You should have refused him. Paris was a married man, Helen said. Why does everyone always forget that? He was married to a nymph, Hecuba replied. She was hardly likely to besiege our city for his safe return. So why do you single me out for blame? Helen asked. Paris came to me, remember? He came to Sparta and to the palace of Menelaus for one purpose only, to seduce me. And your crime was to be seduced. 
Yes, Helen sighed. That was my crime. To be your handsome son, everything he asked for, like everyone else did, because he was pretty and sweet and he enjoyed it so much. So before we continue on with some more things in this passage, I just think this is like, she's right. Like, it's it's one of those moments where it's just like, I'm so mad. I'm so, I just want to dive into the book and like, take Helen's side on this debate because yeah Paris was a married man it doesn't matter because we're looking at if we're talking about morality it doesn't matter whether a city is besieged if we're talking about intelligence on the other hand Paris never should have come to her like it's there's no singular reason why Helen should be more to blame than Paris and yet we always blame her. Um, in the modern day and back then as well. Um, and then Hecuba, there's a, there's a paragraph next where Hecuba realizes, you know, I'm right. She's right. Like, not about anything else, but the line where, like, like everyone else did. Because Hecuba realizes, you know, you know what? I also pampered Paris. Like, I spoiled him rotten. And also, I was supposed to, you know, it was kind of my fault, like, like, literally my child was one of the people who did the most wrong, okay, and there's also another passage, I don't think I highlighted this or anything, or saved it, but I think at one point, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I have never liked Hecuba, <laughs> I just have not, um, and the book A Thousand Ships really makes me not like her more, and so did the women of Troy. Because there's very few redeeming factors about her. And also, like, at least in a thousand ships, she's very annoying. Like, she's just, she's hypocritical. She is, she misdirects her rage. She's just annoying. Um, back to the Theano thing. Like, she's she's like she's like raging about how uh Antinor and Theano did what they had to do to survive whereas you know and she says you know they're selfish they gave up the city for this whereas she's literally the one who didn't sacrifice Paris to um because she she just well she didn't have the guts you know um and I just think it's so hypocritical because they were doing it to save themselves and their daughter. You you also did the same thing. You you didn't kill Paris because even though even though you knew he was going to destroy the city because you were selfish. In your words, you were selfish and you were you didn't you didn't sacrifice your child for the greater good and neither would they and they didn't even have like if you had just listened to them they wouldn't have you know okay and now i'm gonna move on to some more negative characterizations that i did not necessarily like um i didn't like hecuba's i didn't like hecuba but i did like like i didn't not like her characterization i just didn't like her as a person you know like her character I, like I, I wasn't mad about how the way that 
the author wrote her because we don't really know that much about her personality in the um in real life so yeah it's fine okay but there's a lot of times throughout this novel that the author makes some the author talks about specific women in some very specific ways and this goes back to what i was saying about how you know there are some people who are very exclusionary when it comes to their feminism and i'm not saying that this applies to their author because i don't think i can make generalization i don't think i can make assumptions about the author based on the book but and for the most part that this book really does serve to not do that but I think that there are also some parts that really did not work for me when it comes to to representations of women and how the book talks about them. And you will probably notice throughout this podcast that I will be talking about this very much because there is a distinct prevalence of extreme, of just like bad representation of women (laughs) throughout literature, but especially like when you're a lot of the more modern more recent mythology retellings are feminist books they are quote-unquote feminist books that's what they're marketed as and a lot of them really succeed in some ways but really fail in other ways um and i think that's an important thing to talk about because recently the mytho because like modern discussion of um myth is so deeply rooted in gender like it's so that's so important like women so much of greek mythology is misogyny and so much of modern retellings and modern reception is trying to you know subvert that but sometimes it just doesn't work um for example this one's less bad but the first one i wanted to talk about is athena i don't like athena i don't think athena is a good goddess i think that she helps i think that she actively um i don't know about enjoys but she actively participates in violence against women. She is not a good person. Um, she's not a terrible person, but she's like not a good person. Like she's not a good goddess. Like her care, like none of them are really good. But she's she Athena especially is overrated in my opinion. Um, I think recently she's been people have been realizing you know Athena is not that great. Um. But one thing I will say is that Athena is not... Athena is a special brand of a not great woman. Because she almost acts like a man. You know, she's not a... She's a not great woman in a way that men are not great towards. She's not great towards women in the same in a very similar way that men are not great towards women. And she does that by actively helping men do not great things to women. 
And I think that that's very unique. And I think it's an interesting thing because I don't think there's, I don't think that really fits into any archetype necessarily because we, normally when we think of women, um, you know, not being girls, girls, as they say, you know, women feeling competition and jealousy, they will, that's normally the reason why they're like, you know, like we don't have unity in women often represented often women are at each other's throats women are actively looking to hurt each other but they are normally looking to do that because of jealousy because of competition for what either men or you know just attention in general and they normally do that through very deceptive ways um, through very manipulative ways and through very covert ways. You know what I mean? And it's very rare that you see a woman like go through a man to impart violence on another woman. You know what I mean? Because like Athena, she like she t- I think her way of being a not girl's girl is a very unique way of being a not girl's girl because it isn't about men. It's not about attention. She doesn't really want attention and she doesn't want men either because she she's not she's she's one of the maiden goddesses. She never has a love interest. She's never in love. Like there's not a single instance in the actual mythology of Athena being in love having children other than that one time her her body fluids mixed with the festuses that's another it's another that's a rabbit hole we won't go into right now um athena is a maiden goddess and i've always interpreted mate the maiden goddesses to be something like asexual at least athena and artemis I don't really know that much about Hestia because we don't get, we don't really know that much about Hestia, honestly. But those, like, I've always assumed that they literally just not felt no attraction to men. And I think that that's a compelling part of Athena because she, the, the, the trope of a not girl's girl. You have the girl's girl. And you have, you know, the, the girl who's, you know, a pick me, uh, a tox a person who wants men's attention who who competes with other women to get men's attention attention whereas athena does kind of the opposite she she's not nice to women but she also does not want men like she it's not because she's jealous of them well she is that's debatable but she's not jealous because of their you know beauty she's not jealous because they are they're gonna get the men she doesn't want the men that's the point and i think that's what makes athena so compelling and also it's just accurate mythology but then we have like i don't know because there's this one line this isn't that bad of a characterization i just didn't really like it so anyway i'm sure maybe someone liked it but um basically in the book she's presented as being in love with odysseus for example quote quote 
She had no interested she had no interest in the things which enchanted most women, like weddings. And she dismissed the thought of the Ithacan, a clever young man with a complex destiny ahead of him, and who roused in her the feelings which other women spoke of when their menfolk were absent. Odysseus had eyes only for his new bride, his Penelope at the moment. But Athena was clever in more ways than just the matters of war, and she knew he would roam one day. All she had to do was make sure that she was in the appropriate place at the appropriate time, in, if required, the appropriate disguise. This is a weird passage. Because what what Natalie Haynes is essentially doing is she's making Athena into who isn't a good person let me just clarify that once more Athena is not a good representation of women but she's an interesting one she's she's a new one you know she 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 breaks that stereotype not in a good way but in a way and honestly when you're breaking stereotypes any way is a good way honestly like genuinely honestly she is not she's a bad person in a unique way and i think that is really what we want to see when it comes to diverse experiences as women it's the i support women's rights i also support women's wrongs you know what i'm talking about like do i support athena no but that's what you're you know what i'm talking about i kind of i like to see that I mean, like, men can be evil in very different ways. Men can be bad people in very different ways. Why can't women? Instead, and I think Athena is one of the very few examples in Greek mythology of that, or classics in general, or really any literature archetypes. Like, there is no other person like her in literature or in classics that I know of, at least. However, what Natalie Haynes is doing... Intentionally or not, she is basically turning Athena into this stereotype, you know? She's turning Athena into... I mean, I know Athena doesn't actually really impart any much violence against women, but she's turning Athena into someone by by making Athena interested in men and by putting in that weird line about her, like, waiting to strike once he roamed from Penelope. Like, she's... She's putting her into a box she never belonged in. You know what I mean? Like, and just like, why? You know what I mean? Like, I thought we wanted diversity of characters. I thought we wanted unique experiences. I thought we wanted broad ranges of characterizations and flaws and stuff. But I just, I don't like it, you know? Like, it just doesn't jibe with me. It's not, it's not a deal breaker because I, it's a minor thing. But I just, it's just something that stood out to me a lot because it's not accurate to the mythology. Athena's never actually in love with Odysseus. And, like, when you're, when, when it comes to a retelling, every change is significant. Everything you keep the same is not because, you know, that's just how it is with the retelling. People notice what you've changed. Another woman that I felt was 
given a given a short the short end of the stick in this in this telling was Helen. Helen, yes, there was that one. There were those few passages about Helen, um, like speaking truth to power. Don't know if Hecuba can be considered power, but speaking truth to Hecuba about um, her in Paris and the whole deal. Um, now, again, is Helen a good person? Arguably, no. But is she... Like, she's not bad. Like, she she never does anything really bad. Like, yeah, she caused a war. So did Paris. And and that's not even the most important thing. The most important thing is, like, yes, she caused a war. But it was... She did not cause the war. It was... Agamemnon and Menelaus who caused the war like it is not her fault that this yeah she I mean yes she probably should have like she probably should have known that this wasn't a good idea in her situation she probably knew that some she probably should have known that something bad would happen to this to her because of this because of the situation because of the atmosphere because of the context but at the same time we should not looking at this through a modern lens why are we blaming helen for for falling in love why are we blaming her for chasing her dreams what did she really do that was so evil like she was not she did not ask to be married to menelaus and What's more, like, I just don't like how everyone is so anti-Helen. Because you know who she reminds me of? She reminds me so much of Hester Prynne from The Scarlet Letter, which I'm currently reading in class. Personally, I don't like Hester. But that's not because she cheated. That's that's not it at all. Um, but everyone is so pro-Hester. But everyone is so anti-Helen. And it's like, they did the same things. Like, they did exactly the same things. There's not a single thing that Helen did wrong that Hester didn't also do wrong. You know? So why are we putting this double standard? Why are we allowing... And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, um... You know, the ancient Greeks were writing about Helen. Nathaniel Hawthorne seems relatively sympathetic. And he was the one writing about Hester. But again, we have to start looking through, we can't just, we can't, we have to start looking at these myths with a critical lens, you know? We cannot just stop at the easy ones. We can't stop at, you know, can't stop at Clytemnestra. We have to challenge our, our, even our current beliefs. We have to challenge, like, you know what I mean? Like, we have to criticize. First of all, first of all, I don't think Clytemnestra is blameless either. I think I don't think she's a good person. I think Helen is actually a way better person than Clytemnestra morally. Um, but I think in our current society, the way we see things, sexuality is just so much so villainized among women that it becomes like such a great crime. Whereas murder is less so at least in our sensibilities, you know, and honestly, I agree, like, I don't think that, I don't think it was wrong of Clytemnestra to kill Agamemnon, 
we're going to talk about this so much more in a later season, but it is discussed in the, in the book, so I'm just talking about it now, too. Um, like, was Clytemnestra wrong to kill Agamemnon? Probably not. Was she a good person, though? Probably not. She did kill an innocent person, Cassandra. She did also, like, abuse her children. Helen did no such thing. I mean, she did abandon her children, but they were safe. Like, they were with Menelaus. They had a parent. Whereas Clytemnestra, like, completely abandoned her parents, her kids, when their father was away. Like, she actively was not good to them. <laughs> she actively neglected them. Whereas Helen, like, what did Helen do so that everyone seems to hate so much? And it's not just, like, the people who are portrayed as wrong. Because, um, for example, Calliope. We, Calliope seems to be a very feminist-type character who, you know, she's... We agree with most of the things Calliope says. But then, but then she says something like, I haven't... Okay, she says, I have had enough of Helen. Enough of her beauty. Enough of her power. Enough of her. I despise the way they all melt at the merest mention of her. She's only a woman, and no one's looks last forever, even daughters of Zeus. I shall teach him a lesson, and that she's talking about Homer here. Which is like, just like, why? Because we tend, we, we, we tend to try and sympathize with all the main characters, right? Because they're telling the story, you know, again, unreliable narrator. But in this case, there's not really anyone to, to contrast that with. Um, but like, we, we see Calliope as like, generally, we like her, but... Like, first of all, what do you mean you've had enough of Helen? She hasn't been given a single chapter. What do you mean you've had enough of her? Enough of her beauty? Like, why would that be a reason not to give her give her a voice? Because she's beautiful, she doesn't have a voice? Like, I know she's not saying that directly, but that is what is implied. And it's, like... Helen never chose this. Like, yeah, she's beautiful. She never chose that. It's not her fault she's beautiful. Since when were we anti-beautiful people? <sighs> Enough of her power. What power? Literally, what power? Like, she has... Yes, she has pretty privilege. She also has literally no power. Like, in a way, she has more power than the other Trojan women. Because she's, like... She's able to you know, she's able to use her looks to her advantage when it comes to, you know, becoming, like, how, uh, Menelaus, like, spares her or whatever, or, like, it's not like he spares her, but she treats her relatively well, um, after she comes back to him, um, what do you mean of her power? Like, the whole point of this is that she has no power. That's why the Trojan War was started. If she had power, she would be given agency and she's not she's not she does not have any power that's the point she's trying to take back power by running away but instead you're saying oh, she's too much power we can't talk about her anymore why like i just don't understand um i despise the way they all melt at the merest mention of her okay like how is that her fault? Like, how? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't... Yeah. Um. 
she's only a woman. Okay. So you're saying the reason why you're not giving her a chapter slash voice is because she's too beautiful. She's too powerful, even though she isn't. And she is only a woman. What? I don't understand. Anyway, that that's just a line that I personally hated. Like, the rest of the book, majority, does very well with most of the representations of women. But when it comes to people who we think of more... Like, I feel... Okay, I feel like this is a central issue of the book. I think that the book does not challenge... Does not... Like, it it, it tells untold voices, yes. It... It brings out perspectives that most people don't even know. Like, for example, Lyodomia. But those people are people that we sympathize with. And I think that this is, like, another reason why I think, like, in some ways that this book fails to do what, like, I was talking about in the first place. Like, it does not, it's not, it does not look at women very critically, if you know what I mean. Like, it takes everything at very face value. And Natalie Haynes, I know, is a classicist. So, and I'm not going to say, like, I expect more from her because she's a classicist. But I'm just saying, like, I just wish, I know that Natalie Haynes, I know that she's, um, like, qualified. She, I know that she has the knowledge. I know that she's probably done dissertations or theses or I don't know I don't know how academia works but like I'm sure she is like she's capable of (laughs) critical thinking I'm sure like I think she's 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 a wonderful person I'm sure um as from what I know of her but I wish there was some more thought put into those people who are normally seen by modern people as bad people because bad women specifically because yes it's important to tell the stories of women who don't have a voice it's also important to tell who are like yes it is important to tell the stories of women who we don't know who most people don't know it's also important it's i would say it's even more important to talk about women's stories who have been wronged or misrepresented by by media and by writers throughout history that is what i think is important about women's studies and gender history and whatever like we need to look at things like this with a critical lens and we cannot just stop at where it's easiest we need to challenge our even our own biases even our own modern sensibilities is this really what what we should be doing because that is what history is history is studying the past so that we can better our future and if we do not criticize the past how can we better our future how can we make sure that those things don't get into our future because those ideas have seeped to us and if we don't challenge those ideas they will continue on forever i (laughs) like i just i i think that this is a generalization but for 
generally in the world of mythological retelling specifically, there needs to be so much more work done on critical thinking. I think a lot of retellings don't actually think about things. I think they are just retellings. They don't say anything. They don't teach the reader anything new. They don't tell the reader like yes they might tell the reader things that they didn't know before but then it's just like a telling i want to see retellings that look at very well-known myths or stories with a critical lens a critical eye and who think about these things in a more serious way and in a more critical like I keep saying that word but we that's the point of it we need to critique these these because the way we see these women especially the ones that are you know women who are sexually active women who are who who try to take charge of their own sexualities we criticize them because because why like Helen never did anything to anyone and like what did Helen ever do literally what did she ever do I just don't understand why everyone hates her so much um anyway along the same lines Clytemnestra not Clytemnestra technically Electra but through Clytemnestra's point of view. Clytem... I found that retellings, feminist, quote-unquote, retellings... I'm not saying that this isn't a feminist book. I'm just saying, like, just generally, books that call themselves feminist are very pro-Clytemnestra. And that's great. I think that, again, I support women's rights. I also support women's wrongs. And Clytemnestra definitely did a few wrongs in her life. Um, And... I think that it's so, I, again, I think it's weird. It's so incredibly strange to me that who, like, who is, who are the women that are criticized for no reason? And then who are the women who are glorified for no reason? Like, I don't, I don't fully understand that divide. I think it mainly has to do with what they're known for, though. For example, I think Helen is known for being beautiful. Therefore, we associate with her with, you know, like, sex. And we don't like sex with women. So, like, we associate, like, when we think of immense beauty, we don't think of that. We tend to villainize that. We tend to want to control that. Clytemnestra, on the other hand, we think of her murdering her husband. And that is some feminist idea of power and i i agree i am i'm not disagreeing like yeah she probably should have killed her husband but the point is that Clytemnestra is not known for things that probably would have made her get hated if most people knew them if we'd known that she cheated on um what's his name agamemnon with aegisthus a lot of people i don't think know that like or at least it's just not important Helen is hated on constantly by, from for running away with 
Paris. Shocker. Clytemnestra kind of ran away with Aegisthus. They didn't actually go anywhere, but she, you know, like she cheated on Agamemnon with Aegisthus. Um, Helen abandoned her children. Clytemnestra literally sent them away. Um, there's, oh, okay, there's, there's a quote, um, about Clytemnestra. Uh, it says, the two boys, she found it hard not to think of it just this in this way, almost came to blows several times. Oh, wait, okay, let me, let me backtrack. Quote, he loathed, this is a just this. Oh, by the way, I should have just told you, a just this is the guy, like, she, like, sleeps with a, a just this who is Agamemnon's cousin and hates Agamemnon for reasons we won't cover here um and basically well I'll just get to it quote I just this loathed any reminder that her life had existed before he entered it despising Orestes and Electra that's her children equally the two boys she found it hard not to think of it just this in this way almost came to blows several times and so she sent Orestes away with to live with distant acquaintances she wanted to keep him safe and it was the only way she knew she had no doubt other, that otherwise it just this would kill him before long and Orestes had not yet proven himself to be much of a warrior he was his father's son in that regard she enjoyed the way her lover was quick to anger but never with her end quote This is so, like, bad on, on so many levels. I'm not saying, like, the writing is bad. I'm just saying Clyde Minestra's character is, like... Okay. The, the problem is with, again, like, I think... I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I should criticize the author for this because I feel like this is another case of an unreliable narrator. The only problem is that a lot of people would take this at, at face value. A lot of people who are looking to be, like, very, you know that exclusionary type of feminist a lot of those people might be reading and they might agree with Clytemnestra and hate Helen like I think unreliable narrator like it can be very powerful and it can be too powerful to the point where people believe you <laughs> um like read that read that paragraph pretend you don't know who any of these people are you're watching a woman, a, a woman who's married, whose husband is gone. Um, we're watching a woman, the husband doesn't actually really matter. We're watching a woman um, take a lover. And that lover, who in her own admission is a boy, is very immature, um, despises her children and almost comes to blows with her child son. Like, her, her, her adolescent slash maybe, like, 10-year-old son. Um, and so instead of getting rid of the lover, she sends Orestes away. It was the only way she knew. What do you mean it's the only way she knew? You know what else you could do? You could, you could not allow just this into your home. Another thing is, like, I don't understand why she, this is, this has been my gripe all along. Because, like, I don't understand why Clytemnestra even because in the book it does not justify why Clytemnestra took Aegisthus as a lover in the first place like I would understand if Aegisthus was a central part of the plot and that's why he matters more than Orestes in this moment but 
he's not even important. She could have killed him on her own. In fact, I'm pretty sure she does in the original story. Like, I'm pretty, like, Agistus, like, helps to do the plot or whatever. But, like, she kills him. Like, that's it. Um, like, like, you literally are saying that you have no doubt that your lover would be totally willing even you know he would he would love to kill your son and she's instead of being concerned about this or you know protecting her son instead or like standing up for him she sends him away to distant acquaintances who by the way is actually Agamemnon's sister and her husband and honestly in that regard she was probably in that regard, he was probably, Orestes was probably better off because their family is so much better than Clyde, that, that mess of a, anyway, but my point is, I just, I just don't, I think we, I don't, this is less of a critic, crit, critic, criticism of the book and more of something like just I'm just trying to point this out so that anyone who reads this book realizes the unreliability of this narrator of Clytemnestra as a narrator because I and also I think that it's especially important because I think that this is a topic that is so prevalent among like the classics community because I so many like quote-unquote feminists are so pro Clytemnestra and it's like yeah, I mean, Clytemnestra did a few good things. Like, she killed her husband. That's cool. She avenged her daughter. Yeah, great. She also wasn't a good person in any other regard. There's no evidence of her ever being a good person. She did nothing right except for that one thing. Like, like, I just... Like, yes, I think we can agree that Clyde Monastro is a morally gray character. Why do we need to worship her? I don't think Natalie Haynes is doing that. I think she's, I would, I am willing to believe that she's intentionally making her an unreliable narrator. But but this is kind of out of that realm anyway. Um, I'm just saying, this is like an example of something that a lot of people would take as like real, at face value and say, oh, Clyde Monastro is great. No, she's not. I swear to you, no, she's not. She is not. And people on Tumblr need to realize that. People everywhere need to realize that. And I don't think enough of people do. Anyway, that was kind of the end of my rant about how, like, there were some characterizations I didn't like. But generally, I did like the representation, I will say. Again, there were just some spots that I didn't love. But for the majority... I will round out this portion by saying, yeah, the characterizations weren't bad. I didn't hate them. Um, yeah. So, okay, moving on to, like, the pros, I guess. I didn't like it. I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't, I didn't love the writing. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Um, my main gripe was that there were just so many terribly long sentences like the sentence or not sentences paragraphs the sentence the paragraphs would stretch like half the page sometimes and there's there were like for example craze's chapter like three-fourths of her chapter was 
paragraph on paragraph on paragraph on paragraph of no dialogue literally no dialogue i'm a dialogue girly like i love dialogue i there's like dialogue is what makes makes a story honestly I hate watching. I do not like reading books that don't have dialogue. I've never read a book that doesn't have a dialogue. But dialogue is what makes a book interesting. And yeah. Uh, it's different for nonfiction books, of course. Then again, I'm never interested in nonfiction books unless they're about, like, you know, something I'm actually interested in prior. Um, there were some pretty funny parts. Um, I don't remember what it was, but there was one really funny quote. Um, maybe I'll put it in the description if I remember or if I find it again. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, I know that Natalie Haynes, the author, is like a comedian. Is that right? I Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's a comedian as well. Um... I will not lie. It was a little disappointed because uh, when I like I knew she was a comedian, so I kind of expected a bit more from her. You know, like I expected some humor. I expected some fast-paced dialogue. You know, some banter. We didn't really get that. Now, obviously, not every book has to be that kind of lighthearted, very humorous book. However, you don't need to be lighthearted to be funny. For example, The Silence of the Girls, hilarious. I, that book was hilarious. I don't know, like, I couldn't tell you, like, a specific joke that I really liked, but, like, everything in that book was just funny. Um, I do not necessarily think that A Thousand Ships was funny in that way my motto for books actually for books that enjoy that i enjoy my motto a good book is a book that will make me laugh and cry this one did not make me do either admittedly neither did song of achilles um i don't actually think so uh silence of the girls made me cry either so guess that's not a good book either <laughs> Well, I don't know if I'm, that's my criteria for a good book. For a good book, I think it's just a criteria for um, an excellent book. A book I would recommend very strongly to others, you know? Like a book that really sticks out as an amazing book. Like a book that I would put on my favorite books of all time list, you know? I think maybe Silence of the Girls probably did make me cry. I think that that one scene with, like, Myron or whatever, that kind of hit me hard for absolutely no reason. Um, but anyway. Also a bonus, if you can make me absolutely terrified during, while reading that book, like, especially at night. Like, if I'm terrified while listening to that audiobook at night, you've done it like if you that's like the bonus like that's what if you can get all three of those things you're in the top five man um anyway 
because I love that roller coaster of emotions, you know. I love, that's what I like in a book. That's what I like in entertainment. If you don't make me laugh, cry, and scared, then you're not entertained. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if you don't make me laugh, you're boring. If you don't make me cry, you're boring. Um, if you don't make me scared, you might be a little bit boring. Um, anyway, what I will say though, the A Thousand Ships audiobook, pure gold, pure, 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 nothing but excellence. It's, it's got charisma and uniqueness and nerve and talent. Um, yeah, that is a reference to Drag Race. Do I watch Drag Race? I don't, actually. I just know that reference. Like, I just know that that's a thing. Um, anyway. What was I gonna say? Oh, yeah. The audiobook is amazing. Like, it's read by the author, and she just, like, her, she's so good at, like, she is a comedian, so it makes sense, and a broadcaster, so I think those skills really help. First with, like, just, like, being good at speaking. (laughs) And also, like, her voice is just so, like, good. I like emotion. And I think that it kind of, it's it's very similar to the girl narrator, the woman narrator in Brisee's book, uh, Science of the Girls. Um, it's got, like, that, first of all, they're British, so, of course, they sound good. Um, honestly, I kind of hate that, like, if you're British, immediately, like, you're considered, like, ready for the... <laughs> broadcasting uh industry but whatever um like it's just so good like I don't I don't know what to say about it like I can't I don't really know how to speak about it in a critically appraising way because I don't know how to critically think talk about like talk about I don't know how to talk about voices in an intelligible way like it's just good okay just listen to the audiobook um I think that also really helps with what I was talking about like the really long paragraphs like because like it's really easy to just be bored and skim through the entire paragraph that doesn't really happen with audiobooks I think audiobooks are a great way to like like if you see a book that's very dense audiobooks are a great way to read books that are denser because like, you don't even know that they're dense. Like, you don't even know that the paragraphs are, like, three feet long. Like, you just don't know. Like, it doesn't matter when it's an audiobook. Um, so yeah. I, I, I really like the audio. I, did, I didn't listen to the audiobook in, in its fullest. I also don't really remember most of the audiobook. I just remember that I really liked it. Also, I remember Lyodemia's chapter because I read that I read I listened to that chapter about like six times and it's just amazing amazing um also okay I'm just gonna why don't I just go like with my top three favorite POVs because I feel like there were some that really stuck out to me my favorite were Lyodomia because that was just an excellent chapter I also really liked um Andromache Andromache is one of my favorite characters of all Greek mythology because I just feel for her, you know, and I feel like she's under underrated. Um, and then I also really liked, um, well, there are a few, but I do really like Oinani. <laughs> I like her. Um, she's kind of, I did like Calliope, but I don't know if she would be 
like she's on the level of oinani you know um yeah so before i go the three rankings um retold so retold i guess this is like what are the things that the author changed did i like them or did i not like them or what are things that are you know there are multiple tellings and which one did they choose and did i like it or not like it um i feel like i didn't really i'm i'm my even i myself i'm kind of unclear on the difference between retold and untold so i'm still trying to figure that out but i think there is a difference um retold so i think retold probably mm, five out of ten because honestly i don't think she changed much because like you know okay but the okay the other thing like i don't know what i would call like a creative idea okay i I feel like that could count as retold i'm gonna give it seven out of ten because i think the good thing about the amazing thing about this retelling is the way that it uses so many different stories and then weaves them together you know so i'll give it a seven out of ten um Oh, but I also really hated that, the fact that Athena liked, like, was in love with Odysseus. It's fine. I'll give it a 6 out of 10 then. Um, untold. So these are things that, like, we don't know at all. Like, things that the author just made up. Um, that were, that needed to be made up. Um, honestly, I gave it a 9 out of 10. I really liked all the characterizations. Uh, not all the characterizations, but all the personalities of the POV characters, because I feel like most of them didn't have them in the actual, like, we don't know their personalities outside of it, um, and she made really good personalities for everyone, they were all kind of unique, um, oh, I don't know what I would call this, but, okay, I might need to revise my three categories, because I feel like there's a lot of things that don't fit in with them, another thing I didn't like about, about some of these, they, they talk so extensively about the men. Actually, no. This applies only for one POV. One of my my least favorite POV of all of the POVs was Penelope. And I know a lot of people like Penelope's POV in here. But I personally hated it. Because compared to the other characters, there was... I didn't... There was nothing really about her. She literally... All she did... Because she's writing letters to Odysseus, right? She literally just recaps everything he does like i don't want to hear about odysseus's actions with your little comments on the side this is not you know this is not the twilight movie with commentary from robert pattinson kristen stewart and whatever the producer's name is i'm sorry i don't remember Catherine something um this is not odyssey with commentary from penelope this is the this is a pov from Penelope. We do not want to hear about Odysseus. We know what Odysseus does. I don't want to hear about Penelope. I feel like that should take off points from Untold because we didn't get much of Penelope's story. So I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. 8.8 8 out of 10. Because everyone else is fine, but Penelope just really ruined it. You know, like, I just didn't like her. Especially because she had so many chapters. Like, I just didn't like it. Um, I also don't think that, like, we really... Uh, that uh, that the goddesses really had very good characters. Like, I didn't really understand Themis's chapter or Gaia's, really. Um, Eris's, she didn't really seem to have personality. And 
she just kind of had to seem to like she's just kind of there and then Hera Athena and um Aphrodite also like they had personalities but they were all bad um and I think that they were all very face value and I I wish that uh the author would have explored them more so that's an eight the other one was a six and then told I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten maybe a six out of ten maybe a five out of ten I'm gonna give told a five out of ten because again like there wasn't super like good there wasn't anything super good about the prose in my opinion like it was kind of mediocre and I don't say this to like hate on the author I'm just like I'm I'm giving an honest review I always feel bad when I say like very negative things about a book because I genuinely did like this book I just didn't it just wasn't one of my favorites, you know? And these are all my personal opinions, and I don't think, and this isn't in any way to discredit the author. I think the author's a great author. It's just that her style doesn't really appeal to me, and this book doesn't really necessarily appeal to me. Um, this was so much longer than I expected it to be. Um, I actually expected it only to be an hour or so because I just didn't really know what I was going to talk about, but turns out I talked about a lot of stuff. Um, I, again, I won't be splitting this into a two-parter because, like, just why? Um, so, before I go, thank you so much for listening. Please, please, um, consider, if you want to support the podcast, please consider subscribing to my Patreon. There's nothing up there right now because I don't actually have any subscribers. But if I ever do start getting subscribers, I will start posting. I will start giving you what you're promised. So, if you're considering supporting Please don't be deterred by the fact that there are literally no posts there. It's just because, like, I'm just trying to prioritize and make sure the general feed gets what I'm, they're supposed to get every every two weeks. And then, and then you know, if I actually do get Patreon supporters, I'll start to, you know, actually upload. Um, right, contact. Um, oh, Patreon is at patreon.com slash retoldpod. I have an Instagram, which I literally never use. Instagram.com slash retoldpod. Again, I, li- I literally never use it. So um, you can try to contact me there or like find me there. I probably won't have any posts. You can DM me if you want. Um, a better way of contacting me though would be either CuriousCat, which is curiouscat.live slash retoldpod or email at retoldthepodcast at gmail.com um and that's because I feel like I don't know I just feel like I don't know I don't I I just don't I don't I I rarely remember that I have an Instagram you know and then also like I I also rarely remember that I have a curious cat but like I want people to have a way to send questions anonymously so I'm definitely gonna try and check that more often also like I don't think anyone has contacted me yet so please if you if you wanna if you wanna if you if you have like literally I will take anything comments criticism suggestions for future anything um questions corrections um like even like just if you hate my podcast send me hate mail like I want to see that like I genuinely want to see it I genuinely want to see what everything you hate about me. Um, yeah. So anyway, my point is, please contact me. I'm lonely. Um, yeah. 
so I think that was all it. Oh, I also do have a story graph. Um, and this, this is where you can view all the um, content warnings. Generally, in my podcast, I really haven't been talking too much in depth about anything that really requires content warnings. I would say, like, I've referenced a few things, but I'm definitely not... I'm not describing them in great detail. Um, so I'm not really being super diligent about putting content warnings, especially because... Um, I, I just, I, cause like, I, I don't talk about the topics very much. Like there are like most of the books have like stuff that is like content warningable, but like mostly I don't really pay. I like, I discuss it sometimes. Like I'm going to discuss it sometimes if it's like really important, but so far I haven't really done that because what I'm really focused on is characterizations, not, like, what actually happens in the book, you know, um, not, like, like, I just, I just don't fixate on that kind of stuff, um, and if I do ever, like, you know, if you do want to see more content, more in-detail content warnings from me, hit me up, um, where I mentioned, but, yeah, if you, if you're thinking about reading the the books I'm talking about, you can find all those on my story graph, and you'll be able to see other people's reviews, you'll be able to see, um, co- content, they have a brilliant content warning system, um, you'll be able to, I guess, I mean, I guess you can, like, buy them on Goodreads, like, you can, it will link you to the Amazon, but, like, story graph doesn't really do that, because they're not associated with any, like, stores, I don't know, yeah, I, I would say Storygraph is mainly for, like, just content warnings and other people's reviews. And also, if you just want to see, like, more about, like, what the vibe is. And also, if you don't know what Storygraph is, it's a great, tr- like, reading tracking software that I use all the time. Um, yeah, and I have a specific um, one for the podcast, and that's at the st- app, app.thestorygraph.com com slash um what's it profile slash retold pod and i also have a website which again i have spent so much time on an ungodly amount of time on please go visit it for my for to humor me um and that's at card with two r's dot co slash retold pod i think that's what it is all the links are in my are in the description um, they don't actually really work, so just type, like, you can just copy-paste, because, like, whenever I try to put a link, it, like, almost never works. I can't really figure it out, but anyway, um, yeah, that's kind of all I had for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, yeah, this has been Retold, and I will see you in the next one.